Okay. Ready? Ready. So this is episode 64, correct? I think so. Do a quick check. Oh, I sometimes screw that up. Not today. Yeah, 63. Or 64. We did 63. Damn it, Ricky. Uh, whoa. It's the last one. I know. Sorry. This is the Drive-In Podcast, episode 64, pick one. Bada big, bada boom. Welcome to the 64th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the Express Checkup with yours truly, Dr. O. We have our review, our double review of Ghostbusters, Afterlife, and King Richard. So buckle up, use the bathroom now, grab that popcorn, and enjoy the 64th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. Episode 64 has arrived. I am joined by the one and only Ricky Flicks. Ness is on hiatus on vacation for this episode. Happy holidays, Ricky Flicks. The season, season's greetings, I should say. Season's greetings. Very thankful for what we have. But I will say I don't consider it Christmas season until after Thanksgiving. I'm still in Thanksgiving mode. Very hyped for Thanksgiving this Thursday. I was being uh, very careful with my wording there with season's greetings. I think it's on the week of like Thanksgiving, that's a safe thing to say before you start breaking out the happy holidays yeah. on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, and I just, it's kind of weird. I just, I don't know if you have this in the trailer roundup, but I just watched uh, the Seth Rogen Santa Inc. trailer. Ooh, that dropped? It just dropped today. So, and it's dropping December 2nd after Thanksgiving. So I like that. I think, uh, I think uh, I'm looking, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. I'm not, I don't think it's going to be great, but I think it's gonna. It looks like it's a lot of laughs. It's it, it, so. What's it rated? Is it PG or what? No, it's definitely gonna be R. <laughs> no way! That's awesome. Were, I kind of wish it were, was dropping I, Thanksgiving night. There was. There, I think I remember them throwing f bombs and they were saying a lot of swears in the trailer. So I think wow, deeply R rated. And, and it's they claymation. Said, it's claymation, and it's specifically said from the co-creators of oh. Sausage Party and nothing else. So. <laughs> They're sending a message there, Ricky. Exactly. They're, and San, Seth Rogen, Santa. It's it's good. Like as in, it just looks funny. And it, what, what's the supporting cast there? Is there anybody well, good with them? Or? Sarah Silverman's going to be like the main person, like uh, a purple elf. Uh, and then you got like Craig Robinson, Nicholas Braun. Oh, Nicholas Braun. Okay. It's yeah. Cool. It's a little cousin Greg action. I have to yeah. catch up on Succession. Uh, I, was, I actually wanted to bring that up. This season's not good. I haven't seen the latest episode. This season's not good. We're two thir- We're exactly two thirds of the way through. This has been a huge letdown so far, at least in my eyes. They got to pick it up in these final three episodes. I, I, I was kind of let down by Logan meeting up with Kendall at Adrian Brody's house. I thought that episode huge was huge letdown. Be, I thought that was going to be incredible. And I, I thought Adrian Brody, maybe it was the writing, but he didn't really live up to the hype of having him join this like ensemble. Um, 
Yeah, like it just hasn't been enough action for me. It's just and, a lot of it's, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of talking. Like what what made season two so spectacular? You had the incredible settings where they're in the courtroom, right, and the dynamics behind the scenes there. And then you have Kendall like on the yacht, being told by Logan in, in intense conversations where he stands that he's not a killer. And then you have the electric ending. Like there were so many like great moments of season two. That season three, you don't really find those. You can't pinpoint them. There's no memorable moments. There's they kind of ruined Kendall a bit because he's kind of in the background of what's going on. And every time he's on, it's just kind of let's just get to the next thing. And this is just annoying. So like like Kendall's always been annoying, like with the rap battles or whatever, rapping and kind of an oddball himself. But they just put that to all the way to 10. Like it's ridiculous. And And like they just ruined his storyline a little bit by having him out of the picture when it was best when he was fully in the picture. I agree. And they're reverting him back to like a screw up. I was hoping this was going to be his moment where he's going to be a mastermind behind the scenes. Yeah. Right. Hooking up with Stewie. Right. And Sandy. But it's like, no, we're just going to make him look like an absolute fool. Like after like the electric end of season two, they had a great opportunity with like, what if like Kendall actually can potentially pull the killer? Yeah. Like that would have been incredible. Like, like his arc could have been incredible. Um, There's still in like at the end of, not this week's episode, but uh, the previous episode with him going up, talking about how he's starting a foundation. Like he's just, they're just supplying with cringy moments that aren't enjoyable to watch. Sometimes Kendall's cringy and it's like, yeah, that's funny because it's so like awkward, mm-hmm. like whether it's him rapping to Logan or him just like talking like an a-hole, you know, but now they're just making him embarrassing him at every like situation that they can, you know? And it's, and it, they, they did that after hyping him up at the end of season two, which right. I have said myself, maybe the greatest ending to a season like the climatic buildup to it and the height of the show. And they just totally did a 360 and said, or 180. And they said, no way. Those last two episodes, like of last season, like talk about like comp greatest combos in the history of like television in terms of like back half, like a pentultimate episode. And then the finale, like game of Thrones, battle of the bastards leading into right. The, um, Mm -hmm. the, uh, the base, the Cersei orchestrating the destru- the the bombing right in the middle of uh, King's Landing, right? Yeah. So that, like it, it was like it was like on that level, so good. It made me think that this could be the greatest show, arguably since Game of Thrones. You know, I literally was thinking that. But speaking of sending a message, we kind of talked about it with uh, the trailer for Santa Inc. I kind of want to talk about a message Ridley Scott sent into the world today. Oh uh, Ridley oh Scott doing the press tour, doing the media for House of Gucci, dropping this week, next week's review, okay, post-Thanksgiving. But Ridley, Ridley Scott addressed the performance of The Last Duel, which is arguably one of the biggest bombs in most recent memory, right? $150 million budget, right? Made like $4 million in its opening weekend. And oh. Ridley Scott is pushing the blame a little bit here, Ricky Flicks. He's pushing the blame. Mm-hmm. And who mm-hmm. is he putting it on? Let's just read the quote. So, Ridley Scott says the last duel bombing is because, quote, what we've got today are audiences who are brought up on these effing cell phones. The millennium who do not ever want to be taught anything unless you told it on the cell phone. End quote. Ricky Flex, thoughts on Ridley Scott going after the millennials? This is not the this is not what you should be doing. If you're going to deflect blame for the poor box office, we got to use something else. You got to go with pandemic route or marvel everyone just wants to see comic books you can't be saying that it's millennials just by their nature we can't be doing that you're 
you're just basically saying right in front before House of Gucci that no one's going to see this movie either. I, so like this is so dumb to say this right now. Very near the opening weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, and you have House of Gucci with young actors that are popular with millennials, like Adam Driver, like the star of a Lady Star Gaga. Wars franchise, Lady Gaga, who is an absolute inspiration for most millennials. And then you just have the name Gucci attached to a movie and you're trashing millennials. What an idiot. What an idiot. Very dumb. Very, very dumb. But I will also say the first reviews for this movie are in not doing too hot. And Is that a Rotten Tomato score, Ricky? After 16 reviews, so that's not a lot. It's at a 63%. So wow. not doing too hot. You're hearing good things about Lady Gaga, but you're just hearing that this was like kind of all over the place. So we're going to see how it is next week's review or one of next week's review. But it also comes out the same weekend as Licorice Pizza, which is being heralded as like maybe the best movie of the year. So we'll be we'll Ridley Scott versus uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, who will win the box office battle this weekend. Probably going to be Ridley Scott, but the better movie. We don't we haven't seen it yet, but it's looking like it's licorice pizza. But we'll see. I mean, I do want to say after I heard these words and I saw these words from Ridley Scott for a second, I kind of thought he had a point. I kind of thought he had a point. This movie, like the last duel, let's say it was made in the late 90s. It probably crushes. It's got three huge names, one up and coming actress. It's a period piece, which automatically takes a lot of millennials out of it. But we, I know a lot of like the talk about this movie discussion has been about the marketing and how it failed. So obviously that plays a part. But I think millennials aren't interested in a Crusades era piece starring these actors like they rather see them do something more modern that's why house of gucci is so like uh appealing to them it's sexy it's, it's sexy exactly Literally about gucci yeah right and then jody comer you would think like young audiences were are will appeal to her but it's just i think they just weren't drawn to the material i think that actually makes sense and i think this movie came out 20 years ago it kind of crushes to be honest i agree i also think that just ben affleck matt damon they are like the two yeah i know adam driver was in this too but those two, like when they're like headlining a movie, like those two in particular, Matt Damon, it's like, all right, you're more looking towards like end of 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50 year olds. You're not looking at millennials. And I know mm-hmm. millennials was like kind of right before that, but still you're thinking, all right, House of Gucci, like Lady Gaga's covering this. You got to go see that. Exactly. And uh, I think also they should have leaned into Ben Affleck in the last dual promotion. Like Ben mm-hmm. Affleck dating J-Lo. He's all over the tabloids. He is like arguably the king of the tabloids of the past 15 years, right? Like he's yeah. just one of like the fan favorites, like people want to hear about. And if you don't put him in the forefront of a movie where he's like getting really into character and he's wearing blonde hair and he's becoming a different person, you got to emphasize that. And that's how people are going to see your movie. Ridley Scott knows that better than anybody. He's made some of the greatest blockbusters of all time. How about of all time? And speaking of Ridley Scott, he does make an appearance on the checkup today. Why don't we get to it, Ricky Flex, and then we will roll. Sound good? Yes, sir. Let's check the audiences up. Delroy Lindo has been cast in Blade alongside Mahershala Ali. Also, Kevin Feige has announced a top-secret Marvel Studios project associated with Scarlett Johansson set to produce, but not starring. Feige says that secret project will have nothing to do with Black Widow. Interessante. Next up, 
we might be getting sequels to Red Notice. If in fact we do, Red Notice 2 and 3 would be filmed back to back. Do we want it? Hmm. Next up, Jonah Hill has been cast as Jerry Garcia in an untitled biopic about the Grateful Dead for Apple TV with guess who? Martin Scorsese set to direct. Give it to us. Next, Michael Keaton reveals he's shooting scenes as Vulture in a mystery Marvel project this week. He said, quote, I'm shooting tomorrow, dot, 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 some vulture stuff, end quote. Next, Randall Park has been cast in a Netflix comedy series that takes place inside the last blockbuster video in America. For some reason, this casting is perfect. Next, as filming on Spider-Man No Way Home was underway, it was revealed the script was rewritten on an almost daily basis. Tom Holland said, quote, you could ask the director what happens in act three. And his response would be, I'm still trying to figure it out, says Holland. Speaking of Tom Holland, Tom Holland said he isn't sure what he wants to to do next in terms of his career. He says, quote, maybe it's time for me to move on from Spider-Man. Maybe that's what's best for Spider-Man is that they do a Miles Morales film. Hmm. If I'm playing Spider-Man after I'm 30, I've done something wrong. Wow. Powerful words. End quote. Next, Miramax plans to sue Quentin Tarantino over his plans to release seven NFTs based on Pulp Fiction, including scenes from an early script that were cut from the final film. NFT. They're huge right now. Next, Barry Kogan is rumored to be playing the Joker in the Batman. It was seemingly confirmed, still rumored at this point, by his brother. Next up, Ridley Scott, Speak of the Devil, reveals a 10-episode Blade Runner series is in the works. Okay. Next up, the head writer, Marion Dare, behind Marvel's Disney Plus series Echo, a spinoff of Hawkeye, may have confirmed appearances from both Daredevil and Kingpin on our Instagram story. That's going to do it from with some juicy checkup stories this week. Ricky Flex, where do you want to start, dude? I don't know. I think that I, I know one place I want to start. It might not be the biggest news, but it could be in like a month or two. Barry Kagan being the Joker. Let's talk. That I think is monstrous news, even though it, it might not be confirmed. It's just a rumor. So it's probably not the biggest news that's on the slate on the checkup. But that's the one where it's like, wow, we're having a Joker again, again. And it's one of the hottest actors in Hollywood right now. Young actors, I should say. This is something, Dr. O. This, dare I say again, massive, massive news, potentially. I would say this is much more appealing than having Joaquin come back as Joker. I think this is more appealing. And that's saying that, like, that we know Barry Cogan's an up and comer. He's not in the level Cogan. of Joaquin yet, but we talk about the age difference. We're talking about Pattinson, early 30s, Cogan, right? Mid 20s. I like this matchup, Ricky Flex. Some people say, like, who's the best young actor in Hollywood? A lot of people would say Timothy Chalamet. Some people say Tom Holland. Guess what? Give me Barry Cogan. Give me Barry Cogan all day, especially after his appearance, his like scene stealing performance in Eternals. I love him and killing of a sacred deer. He owns that movie. Every time he shows up the green Knight. every time he shows up in a movie, he owns it and he just takes control. And that's the kind of role Joker is where he's going to absolutely command. You need an actor that's going to command the screen and steal it from Batman. Right. Although I've already said Pattinson, put him on Oscar watch for the Batman. I don't care when it releases. I don't care when the Oscars are, you know what I think. So I'm hyped about it. Give me some more of that. I pray to God it's true. What are your thoughts, Flex? I do. I, do, I want to just go back to the Joaquin comments. I think 
we on this podcast like we love ip obviously with all the comic book talk we're talking about oh, the yeah. batman for god's sakes and that's the one that drew my headlines here but i love how we're just keeping the walking one separate and let's i personally would like them just to not do anything else with it let's mm-hmm. have give robert pattinson his own batman let's not try to get the walking phoenix joker somehow into the robert pattinson batman universe and just make things confusing with age differences and whatnot and just make little make stories like uh like make make it just confusing for us to be honest let's just create something new and i think just getting another young actor in hollywood that's on the rise next to pattinson as his most like his biggest adversary i think is a brilliant idea something that they haven't done really for the most part like christian bale and heath ledger sure they're both on the come up but like same time like christian bale already had his like uh like christian bale is batman and heath ledger obviously broke back mountain but we just never really got to see post we obviously never got to see post joker for heath ledger but on the come up like he had broke back mountain and a couple other big time roles kind of similar to barry kogan here so i would literally like to see like all right how can we use utilize this rather than having joaquin come in after oscar performance to try to do another joker performance do you understand what i'm saying don't force it don't force it it was already great as a one-off okay honestly as we said before, how many times have we seen an Oscar winner return to a role? How many times have we seen someone return for a sequel? It's very rare. And I am, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see Barry Kogan in this role. I, I pray to God it's true. I kind of was suspecting it because he was playing Stanley Merkel. He's, that's who he's initially being cast as, or that's what it was. So it was suspected, right? Or it was, that was what it was titled at the time. Um, who is uh, police commissioner, well, not the time, Lieutenant Gordon's, uh, sidekick right his partner and so i thought like my initial reaction when i heard barry Cogan was going to be in this is that he's going to actually be the star of the gotham city police department series that's going to be on hbo max and they're going to dive into will he be corrupt will he be corrupted by people around him will he be more uh lenient towards a commissioner gordon i mean this is so much better and i I, i'm against those people who say like i don't like to have joker fatigue like don't want to see this character and like do you not want to see batman do you not want to see Batman? Mm. Like they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. And you might be getting Batman fatigue, but you're you're gonna tell me after seeing seeing that trailer for the Batman, you don't think they can do something crazy with the Joker in this world? You're out of your mind if you don't think so. And I, you got to wonder what they're gonna do in terms of appearance for the movie. How similar it will be to previous iterations. You know, it's gonna be nothing like, uh, let's say, a Jared Leto. Okay, where it's like over stylized, like. Like, I guess that I can't really see that happening in this gritty uh, underworld that Matt Reese has created, but will it be like similar to Heath Ledger and what kind of similarities are we going to see and what kind of differences? I, I know we're talking about this for a long time, but it's big news, but I think that there's so many like different aspects. You got Falcone, Penguin, Catwoman, Riddler, maybe the Court of Owls. Like you got a lot of things going on in this Batman movie. Like throwing the Joker, I don't want him to be like a side character like he was in like the Suicide Squad. I know I'm not trying to compare the movies; I'm just comparing the uh, screen time for Joker. Joker has to be his like the main villain, so I think maybe they just hint at him, maybe or maybe like post credit scene or the very last scene, similar to like a, where a Batman begins, where uh, Gordon, when he's detective pre commissioner, gives the card to Batman and says like we have this guy calling himself Joker, Robin Banks. Maybe they do the same thing here, and then sequel. Just make it Pattinson, Joker, Kagan's Joker, and just go at it for the sequel. Maybe so just hints at it in this one, and then next movie, full-blown Batman versus Joker. 
yeah, maybe maybe Joker is behind the scenes of this entire operation that the Riddler's pulling off. You never really know. You know, there's gonna be a connection to the underworld with Penguin obviously being involved in Selena mm. Kyle, Catwoman. So it's like you it's not out of the realm of possibility that he does show up in this movie and he's not gonna have a massive role. Like he's not the the villain, but is he the guy in the background pulling the strings? Certainly a possibility. Um, Ricky Flex, let's also talk about Ridley Scott in terms of a different manner here. There's going to be a 10 episode Blade Runner series that's coming. Is this something you want to see? Would you rather see a sequel to Blade Runner 2049? Maybe some type of prequel in between that time and the original Blade Runner? Are you on board with this idea? And uh, I guess what's your excitement level for a series? So I guess for, I don't know. I really don't know. So obviously Blade Runner 1982, and then you got the next Blade Runner 2017 with Ryan Gosling and Denny Villeneuve. Uh, did uh, like three shorts of like the time period between like the Harrison Ford Blade Runner, that ending to the beginning of Blade Runner 2017's Blade Runner. And the shorts like kind of describe what happened. Like there was a, there's a huge, like a, basically like a nuclear bomb or like or a set off that happened. And there's a bunch of other things that happened. So I personally would have liked to seen like, all right, let's just do that series because there's a lot of interesting things. Like, be Google, cool. like, please go Google. If you don't know what I'm talking about it would make Blade Runner 2017 a lot, like make a lot more sense, particularly with the Jared Leto character as well and how the world has changed. It makes the movie so much more enjoyable. So definitely go see that if you haven't and then rewatch 2017's Blade Runner 2049. But I don't know if that, that, that's not sounding like that's the case here. And if it's not, then I want it to be something completely different, like as in obviously still about a Blade Runner and like kind of like a cop detective story, but... Mm-hmm. Do not give me Ryan Gosling. Don't give me Harrison Ford. Give me something completely new and original. I mean, I think Jared Leto was so good in Blade Runner 2049 and his limited screen time. I wouldn't mind seeing him in a 10 episode series, honestly. But it's kind of interesting that we see Ridley Scott doing these like pickups of his former movies in terms of like like sequential projects. So we 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 just heard his next movie is going to be Gladiator 2. Like maybe something we don't find necessary. Now we're getting a Blade Runner series after we just got this amazing sequel made by one of the greatest like filmmakers going today with Denny Villeneuve. It's like he's reclaiming like, hey, I'm the reason this stuff was good. I'm the reason everybody loves Blade Runner. I'm the reason everyone loves Gladiator and these type of movies. It's like he's almost like trying to stay relevant as he gets older mm-hmm. and older and time is passing, his, passing him by. So I just find that a little bit like uh, curious. I'm, I, like, I find it interesting that he's like trying to be like have all these projects, put them all together. We know he's doing a Napoleon movie with Joaquin. It's like he doesn't want to feel obsolete. I agree. I think he's kind of balancing it, though, with the like you just mentioned the kit bag, the Napoleon movie and mm-hmm. also G, uh, Jody Comer's in that as well. And he's doing this House of Gucci, Last Duel. So like original work, like obviously off of things that happen in real life, but original work, not like IP or anything such as a Gladiator 2 or um literally this or a bro a prometheus so definitely like still original but going off of ip but he's combining that with own creative separate works that are like the start of potential new ip so i still i don't mind it i just think that a 10 episode blade runner series with all this other work that he's doing he has a lot on his plate so who do i want to help him in this 10 episode series denny you gotta you have no choice i i think they need to collab here Maybe just him in a producer role, even executive produce, maybe get some, I don't know, but I think he, his name needs to be attached in it. Uh, just to, because you were talking about relevancies, Ridley Scott's 80 years old. 
Denny, but I think 2049 is, is an amazing piece of work and honoring the Blade Runner franchise. I think that they need to collab and at least combine both types of audiences and both their primes. Denny in his prime now, Ridley Scott formerly in his prime, both together. I would like to hear Denny, I mean, uh, excuse me, Ridley Scott's thoughts on Blade Runner 2049. I'm sure he's made plenty of comments about it and how he actually views it. Does he think of it as a masterpiece like many audiences do, like years after its release now? Or the, does he prefer his own version? He probably obviously prefers his own version of the movie. It'd be interesting to see like if they got along because they probably have their own vision now at this point um, for that franchise. And we know a collaboration, it kind of would be possible because like Denny, he's focused on Dune and everything right now. But if he doesn't have to put all his concentrated effort into like this Blade Runner series, maybe he's just executive producing with like Ridley Scott running the show. Who says no to that? Who says no to that? How could he say no to that? Right. Cause like he's, he was the one who brought relevancy back to Blade Runner and it's, right. and it's talked about more now than it did when it was actually coming out. I'm, I'm talking about 2049 in that regard. So, and like those two collaborating, that'd be like the greatest collab since like Jay-Z and Kanye and watch the throne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that'd be incredible. Yeah. It, also this would be on HBO max. Right. So like that would oh, be something. Yeah. Too. Right. Yeah. Warner Brothers, like, that would be something too. That would be something. Uh, Ricky Flex, we also got to talk about Scorsese. Scorsese's making a of movie. Course, we talk about course. it. That's just like movie podcasting one-on-one for anyone who wants to start a uh, movie podcast. So music biopic, Jerry Garcia, Grateful Dead, Jonah Hill, spot on casting in my opinion. What are your thoughts on this upcoming project? And are you even more excited for this than Killers of the Flower Moon? That's a hard no there. Don't get too ex- don't Do not say that. Any Leo movie. You don't know the De rest Niro. of the castings. Leo could be in it. Who knows? The next one. Oh, Grateful Dead. Yeah, could be in it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, at this time, there's no chance I'm more excited for this than Killers of the Flower Moon. But okay. if you're, I'm not a huge Grateful Dead fan. So I think that should play a role as well. If you're a big Grateful Dead fan, then God, this is like think like this about time honestly it's about time it's been so long they've been around forever like grateful dead is one of the hallmarks of american music it's insane so i think scorsese doing this is interesting in the first place jonah hill he does look like jerry garcia but i think that's like the like you said perfect casting and in scorsese movies what are some like the most memorable scenes in scorsese movies the drug scenes Chaotic, out of control drugs. Particularly Wolf of Wall Street and Donnie Azoff. Yep. So what do you think of Grateful Dead? You obviously think of drugs. And there are so many crazy stories with the Grateful Dead and them uh, doing drugs or just somehow being uh, impacted by drugs. So Jonah Hill and Scorsese doing that, I think, is a perfect combination for this movie. I, I like that he's the lead too. He's Jerry Garcia. Yeah, he is the lead. And he's been like in all these great projects as a supporting role, whether it be Moneyball, where he's nominated for the, for the Oscar, Wolf of Wall Street, where he's nominated for the Oscar. He's then diverted to producing movies just like mid 90s, right? Directing. And then he, he was in, uh, yes, directing. Was it directing or producing? Was in mid 90s, he directed it. Okay. And then like uh, obviously his production and then also starring in Maniac alongside Emma Stone. Give him this chance to actually take the lead in a Scorsese love it and I think Grateful Dead there was so much chaos around this band I can't wait to see the concert scenes I can see Scorsese he loves his flair going all out all out with what's going on in the crowd interaction with Jonah Hill as Jerry Garcia okay 
I mean, I don't know if, J- J- if Jonah Hill that has any pipes or anything like that. It might not mm. matter as much, but it'd be cool if he was just all of a sudden an amazing singer too. <laughs> like so, him ripping Touch of Grey. I, so I can definitely envision, if I had to put a bet right now on if will Jonah Hill get nominated for an Oscar, I would say I would put a heavy wager on it at this moment, just by the casting and the combination with Scorsese. Will he win one? I don't know. We'll see how they do with the, like you said, with can he sing? But hey, Robbie Malik won and he didn't, and he didn't even sing. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. So. We'll see what we do. And also, this is a Scorsese movie, so it's going to be better than Bohemian Rhapsody, no matter what. But I love this, and I love it for Jonah Hill especially. This guy's only thirty-seven years old. We just feel like he's been around. He's been around forever. And he's only thirty-seven. He's mm-hmm. ever been nominated for two Oscars, potentially another one here in the lead. He's going to get an Oscar sooner or later, maybe for this one. Huge for Apple, Apple TV as well. Apple TV mm. feels like every time they release a movie, it's just everyone like lets out a fart noise. Like no one cares, you know, like right after. It's just, it feels like now that Scorsese has got two projects coming to Apple TV that are well-known performers. And then we also got to mention the fact Scorsese is one of the best movie documentary filmmakers of all time. Movies mm. like The Last Waltz, like obviously, and like a band, like the band, literally, that is similar to A Grateful Dead in a lot of ways, right? Very similar. So, so it's it, it feels like this is right up his alley. If he was going to foray into the music biopic game, this is it. And uh, Ricky Flicks, I wrote a blog this past weekend. I worked really hard on it, and I, I spent a long, long time on it. I'm like, I crafted a list of 10 artists i want to see uh uh have a music biopic made about them this is the music biopic day and age we just got the elvis teaser right from boz lorman starring austin butler ricky flex my question is what music biopic that isn't in development or hasn't been made yet do you want to see i think the blog's great uh you mentioned a bunch of names that i would have let's such as like a kurt cobain i think that's a must um but i really like Something that has already been done, but has to be redone again, will have to be the Biggie and Tupac drama. Big time. Has to be. And I think if they do a separate one for each one, okay. Or one to combine. But after, like, like obviously the NWA biopic with Dr. Dre, Easy e and the boys, Ice Cube, like, that was such a huge success. And that like didn't even like hover on the surface of the East Coast versus West Coast. If they could somehow get that together and have an actually good biopic movie for that, I think that should be like the number one thing. But they've already tried it, so maybe something new. Kurt Cobain, easy answer for me. And like my idea in the blog, I think it would be unreal if they had it. It's like him reflecting upon his life. He was obviously a tortured soul. You could tell by the songs he wrote. Right, shout out Succession episode three. Like, holy crap, what a scene that was. Yikes. But like Cobain, like I think if they had it centered around him reflecting on his life, but also centered around like his MTV Unplugged live set, I think that would be cool. Where it keeps coming back to where he plays a different song, shows a different moment of his life. That would be unreal. And I even did like a fan casting. Uh, someone who's hot in the streets right now. Imagine like Harry Styles playing Kurt Cobain. That'd be big. Like he's already a Marvel hero at this point. Right. He's going to be in Don't Worry, Darling. Mm-hmm. This would be mm-hmm. a star making turn where he literally has the movie playing an iconic character. This is what make, makes great actors great actors. This would be his chance. Yeah. And like, I, I like, I, we don't have to go through every single one that you put no. in the blog, but like Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac would be something that like that'd be crazy. Tom Petty, recent 
someone that recently dies so maybe a little too early still but that could be another one like there's so many endless and you could like throw in like you mentioned a harry styles and you could throw in other like uh musicians that are going to the acting fray or have been for a while like a, maybe a jared leto like i'm yeah. not i'm not saying a particular role but there's so many options now and more actors and actresses are going into the or sorry musicians are going into the acting game and actually doing well like actually having success uh lady gaga this weekend so definitely interesting to see the more music biopics coming out and who will be playing in these roles right and i like just one more i want to throw out just one more frank sinatra would be unreal like frank sinatra his ties to the mob ties mm -hmm. to new york city Right. And also like the possibility of having someone like Leo play Frank Sinatra. I think that's the role that Leo would not pass up given the right director. I think that he would, that would be a, like a, a home run if Leo attacked this character. I think like going back to the millennial talk though, they would need like a Leo to star in it or like a big name to get millennials to go to see Frank Sinatra movie. Yeah. If he, well, I, he, he does have his relevance. I think he's stuck around enough with parents, grandparents, holiday music, where he still has that relevance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then obviously his connections to Marilyn Monroe and all this stuff. So it's like, mm -hmm. I could see, I could see people like still finding him relevant, even more so than a character like Jerry Garcia, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. That does it for the checkup this week. Unless you want to talk about Delroy Lindo, Ricky Pucks. Just amazing casting. Is he going to be a villain? Is he going to be like a mentor or some like a supportive character for Marshall Ali's blade? I don't know. All I know is that Marshall Ali and Delroy Lindo on the same screen together. That duo is incredible. The Power definition team. of dynamic duo. Like I cannot wait to see that. Me too. I had to slip that in. I know you're a huge fan of Marshall Ali and this whole blade project. Delroy Lindo after a solid performance in the heart of they fall and then a star making turn at the ripe age of 50 in uh, the five bloods with Spike Lee. Yeah. My so, prediction would be similar to what he was in Malcolm X, where he started out as like a mentor type, but then turns villain is my prediction. Interesting. I could see that too. Almost like a Jared Harris and Morbius. What's like, that's turning out to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Potentially. Potentially. I'm not <laughs> Potentially. So I just want to, so that's going to do it for the checkup this week. I want to pop to trailer roundup. I just want to talk about one trailer, one trailer only. And that is Hulu's upcoming series on Pam Anderson and uh, Tommy Lee starring Sebastian Stan, Lily James and Seth Rogen produced by Seth Rogen. Uh, it's about their sex tape, how it was stolen or how it was actually filmed accidentally and then stolen and then was released to the public uh, public at, and a wide array, obviously. So, Ricky Flux, what do you think of this trailer? Are you, do you plan on watching this? I do plan on watching this for sure. But I'll first start off with like the logistics behind this trailer. Very smart to have Seth Rogen tweeted out, similar like he did with Santa Inc. today. Have him tweeted out and like put his praise behind it. And also very smart to start with Seth, like the trailer itself, with Seth Rogen bringing the tape to somebody and showing his character first because he's definitely more in tune with the modern audience. Millennials, again, wow, it's the millennial uh, episode of the Drive-In Podcast today, but very much more in tune than a Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee, like very much more, uh, more so. So very smart to have Seth Rogen start the trailer and also the one send it out initially on Twitter and social media platforms. And then we get into the nuts and, nuts and bolts of this, which is yeah, absolute mayhem. And this is going to be absolute mayhem. And it looks like it itself, Louis James, unrecognizable, as we've said before in the previous stills that were shown. She looks incredible. 
it's looks like what it's like what we've been expecting just absolute chaos and i cannot wait to see this yes and i it almost had an i tanya vibe to it in, in a way same like the same creators or uh yeah good right 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 and it, it, it certainly felt like that where it's like a wide known like like literal literal international story that's happening but they're poking fun at it right they're showing the reactions of the people that were actually involved and like how it was it doesn't really go exactly to plan then also leads to like people's lives being screwed up and has some sadness to it as well i thought i'm excited to see sebastian stan branch out from like these marvel movies he's done all right as the winter soldier he just had the falcon and the winter soldier okay I'm, i'm glad that he's taking on some more challenging projects in a way you get some more, have a little more, I don't know if it's that challenging, but it, it, it seems like a, ch- a change of pace and it seems fun. And it's something that like, definitely how could he say no to a project like this being produced by Seth Rogen as well, you know, and starring Seth Rogen and produced by the p- same people he worked with for I, Tanya. He was great. in I, Tanya too. All right. Not as good as Paul Walter Hauser. That's, a, that's another d- conversation, but I'm excited for this. And Lily James, like literally in character as m- more than any of the pr- other person has been in character. Right, right. And I totally agree with you with that. Like, this doesn't look like the hardest role for Sebastian Stan, but good to see him branch out outside the Marvel Universe, especially since he just had the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Um, and then finally, just, just one real quick, Craig Gillespie, the director of this, also the director of Itania and Cruella earlier this year. This is going to be interesting for him because now he's, he goes to miniseries after he's, he's done so many uh, full feature films, but now he's going miniseries route here. And then he's got another, he's, then they've already announced Cruella too. And that's in pre-production, but he's doing another miniseries, Dr. O. So this is going to be interesting to see how this one goes, because the next one is who is about Mike Tyson. What? So that's the one with Jamie Foxx. No. What? Is that, is, is it the same one? It's gotta be right. I don't, there's another one coming out with else playing Mike Tyson. What? I don't think yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at it right now. I don't I don't see Jamie Foxx's name attached to it on the All IMDb right, continue. Here. Sorry for interrupting. I just assumed. No, but it's it's gonna be interesting because he, you know, he hasn't been doing an original series. He does he's been doing movies. So let's see how he does with this one, see how well connected and everything goes. And then he's doing an iron like a Mike Tyson uh docuseries. That's oh it's a docuseries. Be, so, uh, it's, t- it's, TV it's, miniseries, TV miniseries, TV miniseries. Okay, so it's so it's so it's not a docuseries, it's more not like a, a biopic series. Yes. That doesn't have Jamie Foxx in it. Right. At least his, his name's not here. Interesting. We'll have to do some further dive into some further research there. Uh, but yeah, the trailer looks great. Um, I believe it comes out, was it February, uh, January, February 2022? I believe. Yes. Um, yeah, beginning of next year. I'll be locked in. That's going to do it for the trailer roundup. Let's move on to our double review, starting off with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Okay, Ghostbusters Afterlife movie coming from Jason Reitman, the son of the original director of Ghostbusters 1 and 2, 
Ivan Reitman. So here we're going to give you the synopsis. We're going to give you the Rotten Tomato score, the IMDb score, the audience score. Then we're diving in. So the synopsis reads, when a single mother and her two children move to a new town, they soon discover they have a connection to their original Ghostbusters and the secret legacy their grandfather has left behind. So currently this has a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, has a 77.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Wow, that's a great score. And also has a 95% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. So, Ricky Flex, where I want to start here, okay? I guess we before I get uh, ask any, like, questions that require deep thought, what were your expectations going in from the trailer, from the original Ghostbusters, from anything you heard prior to Ghostbusters Afterlife? My expectations, I guess I would start with, hey, this, there's some pretty big names here. I'm not going to say, like, the biggest names in Hollywood, but Paul Rudd just got, like, just got Don, Sexiest Man Alive, uh, Finn... Uh, Finn Wolfgard, like Stranger Things. I'm trying to get like Wolf, Wolfhard. Wolfhard, sorry. Like you see Eleven and you see all these other kids from Stranger Things trying to do bigger and better things. This is his first like kind of like go at it for him. And then you ha- you're bringing back the original Ghostbusters for the most part, obviously without Harold Ramis. So you're, you're thinking here, like this is more than just at least my expectations was this is actually like has potential to be a pretty good movie. I had a lot of, I, I had decent expectations for this movie. And for me, at least it did not hit. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say I have the highest expectations for this movie. I knew that they were trying to write the ship after 2016's ghostbusters. They tried to uh, take initiative and make it a female led movie. They didn't have much connection to the original Ghostbusters. They threw in Chris Hemsworth in a role he like he's not familiar with, uh, like, like especially with audiences. So they had to kind of rely on nostalgia this time. They had to bring back the kin of Ivan Reitman, the acclaimed director of the original Ghostbusters. So I thought that it was going to put a modern spin on the story, but also honor it. And that's exactly what it did. And it wasn't too concerned with, Okay, is this going to be on the level of the first Ghostbusters and the second Ghostbusters? But rather, it was more focused on, can we make sure we give the fans what they want? And in that aspect, I think it succeeded. Like, it did please fans. Um, And it did open the doors up to a new audience. I kind of had an initial thought for this movie. I want to get your thoughts on this take for me, Ricky Flex. So I thought, and I think I told you this afterwards, this movie was great for a 10-year-old that wants to learn about the Ghostbusters and wants to have a good time at the theater, but it's also great for the 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds that want to relive the glory days with the original Ghostbusters. And the people in between, they kind of get lost and they could, they kind of just think this is a trash movie. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I definitely think it's... I definitely agree with you. It's good for the 10-year-olds and also for the original fans. It's like a, Because it's, it's like a sequel and like a reboot at the same time. Yep. You know, because it's still relying on the previous movies, the nostalgia and what actually happened, the events. But then also it's still introducing new characters, a new location, uh, younger characters. So it's also a reboot. So I think it really complemented those. I don't know if they did it well, but they did it, I think, well enough for both audiences. Whereas you you both of your those audiences were satisfied with this movie. I also think like people like us that are kind of in that in-between stage, there was one thing that really appealed to us in this movie. 
and that's Paul Rudd. And I think Paul Rudd, I think a failure of this movie is how they utilized him. I think that you thought you were getting more Paul Rudd than what actually was on screen. And you didn't, I didn't necessarily like the way they took his character. It was almost too reminiscent of the original Ghostbusters. And it wasn't meant for a character, that type of character, the one that gets, I don't want to give, do any spoilers, but that character and what happens to him, it's not meant to happen to an actor like Paul Rudd. Like Paul Rudd was just named sexiest man alive. Like he was just named, like he's one of the he's a superhero. most popular actors on the planet. So I didn't really appreciate what they did there. Do you think they underutilized him? Yeah, I, I wrote down like it, it, it was a waste of Paul Rudd. I really do think so. Mm-hmm. I think that when he was on screen, he had, he, he got some of the biggest laughs and he definitely had some of the best scenes in the movie when he was in, the, he was the, like one of the main people on the screen there just from his natural screen presence. Like he is a superhero, like I said, but I think where the third act was just all over the place. And a lot of that was because they just wasted Paul Rudd in the third act. And I don't want to spoil anything, but um, definitely the screen time was an issue. And that's all I'll say. It would have been so great if you had like Paul Rudd, like one of the best act, the comedic actors going right now, like in the past, you could even argue 15 years going at it with like a Bill Murray, like, like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. going back and forth. You didn't really get that opportunity. You didn't get that moment, him like operating with an Ackroyd. They, we were robbed of those moments. Um, I also want to talk about the supporting cast here before we go into the OGs. I want to talk about uh, McKenna Grace as the lead in this movie, right? I would say, with, I would say is the lead as Phoebe. Um, I think she murdered it. I think she was perfect. She, the look was perfect. Um, the attitude that she displays, like fits the tone of the movie so well. Um, you, she's so easy to root for much more so than Finn Wolfhard, in my opinion, but, and I found her to be funny and charming. I think she actually knocked it out of the park and is like the reason I would actually watch this movie again. Wow. I think that she was good. I think that she did. I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about her. I think that she just nailed exactly what she was told to do. And just the nerdy also she looked exactly like uh like a granddaughter of a harold ramus they did a great job with that look yeah and her herself it was incredible um but her herself i thought she did a very good job and definitely one of the better performances in the movie and it just i think again it goes back to the sequel and reboot where if you're a fan of the original ghostbusters and you see her you like believe that yep that's harold ramus's uh, that's a spangler and she's carrying this movie and then also, if you're doing a reboot, you're like, I like this girl. Like, she she's very fun. It's fun uh, following her around, even though she's nerdy. And you just, you like, can follow her path. Whereas, like, some of the other characters, like a Finn Wolfhard, like, okay. you just got thrown in that he was a mechanic out of the blue. Like, you, you just got annoyed with him. Whereas her, you were like, all right, that's where you're going to spend your time. As in, uh, like, your devotion to is her, not like Finn Wolfhard or the mother or even Paul Rudd because of the screen time element. So I felt like Finn Wolfhard was so average in this movie. I feel like anyone could have done what he did. Anyone. Anyone. It was he was literally used as his name for his name for promotion of the movies. So people would go see it just mm-hmm. because he was involved with Stranger Things. Another science like, type project as well. Yeah. I feel like he's just kind of at this awkward stage in his career where he is the Stranger Things kid and he has a hard time finding something that's outside of it and where he can really make it his own. Cause this one, it was just like, I mean, he was just, he, first of all, McKenna Grace, in my opinion, stole every scene from him 
right? He brought really nothing Without to the table. He just didn't really bring much to the table here. It's just but his name. So I want to see him kind of maybe attack something new and get out of this stage where he's just a Stranger Things guy. And I think it's going to be like a blessing for when Stranger Things ends and then he can actually explore different avenues in his career. Because like doing a Ghostbusters movie and like you're already so closely associated with Stranger Things, it's hard to separate the two. You're the same person, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just didn't like him in this movie. And I also wanted to talk about uh another character that really appealed to younger audiences when i say younger i'm talking 10 year olds this is what i'm talking about and that's logan kim playing the cringiest name in the history of movies podcast like this guy is honestly this like these jokes i took offense to extensively during the movie as we as we record here but i thought the nickname was so stupid the kid was really cute and he had some like heartwarming moments and he had some laughs if you're 10 years old and i knew like this was like our dad's type of movie who's going to be making an appearance on a bonus episode later this week because he like likes a younger type of movie in terms of humor in terms of like lighthearted story has a happy ending so when I hear him laughing when podcast is dropping like these like pun jokes, I'm like, okay, now we know we're into something bad here. <laughs> it's like that. That's like, all right, that's what this movie is. It's not trying to be like the best movie or right. like just a good movie in general. It's just trying to do the fan service like we talked about, but also like have the reboot elements. And that's where podcast came in. And like I had a good some good chuckles from podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Lie. No, it's not bad. It's just yeah, I'm it's just, just saying like it just appeals to younger audiences. It just shows what the movie is, and I think that where I said in the beginning, like my expectations, like you get Paul Rudd into the frame, and they still have the Ghostbusters IP. I know the previous one in 2016 with the like the woman led cast did not succeed at all. So there was not like at, at least. This was not a direct sequel to that at all, but that one did have cameos from the original Ghostbusters as well. Let's not forget. So that didn't save that movie. And this one, I'll say with the the reboot elements here, they did a much better job with them. You brought up the OGs and we got to talk about, we got to talk about Peter Venkman, right? Bill Murray. We got to talk about Aykroyd. And we even got to talk about Ernie Hudson. I have to tell us, I've mentioned him as well. And I need to bring up Harold Ramis and how they treated that character in the movie. Um, So as I said before, Ghostbusters 2016, Paul Feig's version with uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy, it fell flat in this regard. You had a very minute cameo from Bill Murray in that film here. You see them featured a bit more prominently. They really don't have that much screen time in the movie, except for maybe Dan Aykroyd. Do you like the way they were treated here? Did they get enough screen time for um, to satisfy fans, or would you have liked to seen something different, Flex? I think to satisfy fans, they did. I know I'm. I you could always say I wanted to see more, but this wasn't their movie. I know they are the go- they are a Ghostbusters franchise. Like they'll never not be, but this wasn't their movie. Yep. So it's not like I expected more screen time. Honestly, I think they had this screen time I thought they were going to have. Um, but I will say, if the Harold Ramis aspect, I don't want to get into spoilers, but that was just confusing to me the entire movie, and then especially at the end. And I was just confused with that aspect. But I did like how they honored him, and I think that that also played effect to the sequel nostalgia aspect, and that was like the front and center of that. Yeah, I don't want to jump in the spoiler at the end of the movie, but the way they handled Harold Ramis, I think was perfect. It was so good. 
and like it, it it gave the audiences like the oh my god like like it was like it was like it was that moment where like it felt like so satisfying to see on screen like it was like actually enjoyable especially for those 40 50 60 year olds who grew up on ghostbusters and knowing that they were going to do some type of tribute and to see the way they did it uh man it paid off it really fulfilled so i agree and i honestly i as i said before i wanted to see paul rudd riff a little bit with these guys i want to see him riff a little bit and you know and i think if i had to pick like my favorite out of the three it's the same one that everyone picks. It's Bill Murray as uh, Peter Venkman. Like he is so unbelievable in that role. He didn't, he hasn't lost his touch in that role. Yeah. No, he hasn't lost his touch. It's it's he, he's a God. He's a God of comedy. I, I, but it's like, he hasn't lost his touch because that's who he is. Like that character is Bill yeah. Murray. Like it's, it's so, like Ryan Reynolds being Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. So it's not like I'm, we're, we're praising Bill Murray for his acting achievements or saying anything like that. We're just saying, He's just so low because everyone loves Bill Murray in general. He's just playing himself. So it's like what I said about Ryan Reynolds last week, like you just said. So obviously he's my favorite like you, but it's just because I love Bill Murray. Um, I also quick, we got to talk about the mom. What a terrible mom. Terrible. Like, like, dude, when did she ever try and look for a job? She didn't. She drank. She just drank and like, just felt sorry for herself and her, she has two kids. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, uh, it just made no sense to me. Like she never at any point tried to get a job. She went on dates with Paul Rudd, but like, she's like a and Wolfhard went and got a job and she didn't. Yeah. I'm like, what is going first, on here? They, before they could even do anything in the town. The first thing he did when they got to the town was get a job. You're right. And it she, just felt really weird that she had no ambition whatsoever to help her kids. It just seemed like she yeah. didn't, really did not care about them. So I just thought that was weird. And how it was portrayed, especially in like a kid-friendly movie like Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I also want to talk about the story as we're kind of wrapping up here, how they attacked it, how they they kind of pulled a Force Awakens here. They kind of pulled a face Force Awakens where they borrowed IP from the original oh, yeah. movie. Okay. They're using the same villains. They're using similar stories, right? It's like the same oh. exact story in a way, uh, especially when it comes to the antagonist. Do you, what do you think about this decision? Would you want to just like, I guess what I'll just ask, like, what do you think of that decision that makes sense to you? Okay. So I was going to talk about this in the spoilers. So I guess I'll just do it now without. Well, just, I don't even know if we're, are we doing spoilers for this? Oh, oh if we're not, then I'll, all right. I'm just yeah, going to let loose let's, here. Let's go. All right. Yes, there was extensive CGI. Like, there was a lot of CGI in this movie. It's a Ghostbusters movie. So no it worries for me. The Easter eggs um, and, like, just, like, the nostalgia factors. Didn't mind it. But, like, they actually used, they consistently used footage from the previous Ghostbuster movies. And they they relied on it. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> they they literally went on YouTube in the movie to look at, the pri- like, the prior movie. <laughs> and they talked about what happened in the prior movies but nobody knows what happened except like one person when this thing would have been a marshmallow going down New York city, everybody in the world would have known. You're telling me one person in this town, which they did a terrible job setting up just saying, Oh, the old man that lives at the house or whatever at the farm, they did a terrible job setting up this town and no one knows about it, even though they all have cell phones and internet and everything. They did a terrible job with that as well. And I think that, Hey, this is the, this, we are literally living in the peak of IP in Hollywood. So yep. I don't have a problem with the nostalgia and callbacks and everything that we've been talking about, but when they used it as a, an impactful moment throughout the movie and over-reliance on it, then that's a huge issue. 
So yes, we mentioned the sequel and reboot at the same time. They did a pretty good job of it, but they over relied on the actual movie elements from the prior movies way too much, way too much. I'm also pissed. They just like, we have the same villain, we have the same monster. Like, I was just like, what are we like? Come on. Like, it's just, it just, why are we replicating? It, it felt like it wasn't even like the force awakens where it's like a copy of the story with a different variation. It was just like, okay, no, we're just going to do the same exact thing again. And, but you know, this, it, it, was, it, it, it just drove me insane. Cause I was like, okay, we get it. We want to pay tribute, but we don't want to copy exactly like, like, like uh, yeah like page for page in the script of what's gonna happen you know yeah the so yeah i know we're not doing spoilers but you kind of just said it so i'm just gonna say this too like there's they literally at the end it's the same thing as the first time they hold a gun like the ghostbuster gun just the lasers there's nothing special about the ending there's nothing special about the villain nothing special about the ending except the harold ramis part but that's like that's different that's, that's a tribute. again that's just a tribute that's not like really i don't know i I didn't particularly like it. Okay, I, just, I enjoyed watching the movie. I just didn't think it was a good movie. And it's I, I I agree with that. I agree with that. Like I did. So I, much I, like I, a Red Notice. I, I enjoyed watching it. Watching but. it. I think it was better than Red Notice. To be honest, I do think it was better than Red Notice. But now that we said that, let's drop some scores on Flix. What do you got? Fifty-five. Fifty-five. All right. I'm, I'm giving it a sixty-three. I'm giving it a sixty-three. Um, that's going to do it for our review of Ghostbusters. Okay. Afterlife. Um, we will, we also, I should mention, we have a top billing that is not going to be included on this episode, but would ra- it will rather be a Thanksgiving special that's dropping Wednesday. Okay. Featuring uh, two guests, right? They saw Ghostbusters Afterlife with us. They're a, they're obviously, they grew up in the eighties. They, uh, so we decided to have them on Thanksgiving is a time of family, holidays, time of family. So we had on Dr. O Sr., Olek, our father, and our Uncle Steve, Steve O, for an ultimate 80s draft. So make sure you're tuned in to the pod. Make sure you're subscribed and make sure you get those notifications on for the, when that drops on Wednesday morning. It's a great draft. It's a little long, but it's going to be worth your wait. Ultimate 80s draft. We're doing the entire decade, one comedy. One drama, one action adventure, blockbuster, uh, one miscellaneous, and some other category I'm forgetting. Oscar winner. All right. That does it for our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. Let's now move on to King Richard. All right, Ricky Flex. It's Oscar season, buddy. It's Oscar season. We got House of Gucci. House of Gucci dropping this week. We had King Richard last week. Available in theaters and on HBO Max. Let's get to the synopsis. Rotten Tomatoes, you know the drill. So the synopsis reads, armed with a clear vision and a brazen 78-page plan, Richard Williams is determined to write his two daughters, Venus and Serena, into history. Training on tennis courts in Compton, California, Richard shapes the girls' unyielding commitment and keen intuition. Together, the Williams family defies seemingly insurmountable odds and the prevailing expectations laid before them. Wow, that's one of the best synopsis we've ever read at the Drive-In Podcast. So currently, 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Somehow 0.2 lower than Ghostbusters Afterlife. Rotten Tomatoes currently has a 92%. Audience have it at guess what? 99%. Wow. This movie is a hit, Ricky Flicks. It's an absolute hit. Going into the film here, 
do you think this is it for Will Flex? Uh, Will Smith. <laughs> I just combined you and Will Smith. Do you think this is it for him? Does he get the golden statue? That's the biggest honor anyone's ever given me. Um, yes. I think so In too. a word, yes. I think I this think is literally the Oscar baitiest movie of yep. the year. It's like you just said it in the Rotten Tomatoes audience score. 99% of people like this movie. And it's Will Smith going for his first Oscar with a huge biopic story. This is literally Oscar's about. If he doesn't get it for this, he's never getting one. Never. You know what I'm, you know what the vibes I'm starting to get, Ricky Flex? And this is the same thing we got a couple years ago with another actor where it's a beloved actor who's been around the Oscars for so long, circling these type of roles, mm-hmm. hasn't been able to get over the hump. What was that? <laughs> My desk. <laughs> so my, I have a standing desk and I guess it just wasn't in all the way and I was leaning on it and it just fell a little bit. But as I was saying, yeah. he's trying to get over this hump and it feels like everyone is rooting for it for him. And it just feels like it's his time. And I'm talking about Brad Pitt and once upon a time in Hollywood, mm. where it seems like it's almost inevitable that he's going to get this Oscar. I feel like it's the most obvious so far. I mean, we haven't seen, we haven't seen all these movies that have come out yet. And there's still plenty that will be released, but it just has that vibe where everyone knows Will Smith. It's it's his time to shine. He's gone through the struggles. He's done the blockbuster route. He's gone through, he's tried so much of these Oscar bait movies. We focused him on him a lot during our Oscar bait draft for the movies like collateral beauty, seven pounds. Okay. Things that have honestly failed epically, but it seems like he changed it up a bit here. He didn't rely on just being Will Smith. He got into character. He's hunched over. He's dressed up in gray. Like he's like he looks old and he looks like a different person. He's not just simply, voice a bit. He's not simply playing Will Smith. And that and I think he this is a role that he was made for. And I and think it, it's going to take him to the, the road that he wants to go down. So go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so this you mentioned how he this isn't a role that it's like, oh, that's Will Smith. But I think that's what makes this role so good is that he is Will Smith doing this. And you can still see the Will Smith like confidence and personality still in this alpha male type uh, person in like Richie deep Williams. Down, you know? Yeah. So I do think that him being this character, even though this isn't like himself, but he brought some of his own traits into this role to make it even better than what maybe someone else uh, could have done in this role. I think he was the perk person to play this role. And that's what Oscar winners, their roles are. The, there was a perfect casting and no one else could have done it. And I think no one else could have done it as well as Will Smith in this role. This was a role he could sink his teeth into. I think he's got his swagger back. I think he's got and his swagger back. Like this role, like it. I just mentioned about the Will Smith traits, but like he was a vulnerable person in this role. What other movie did we see him do that in that he didn't get the win for, but nominated for Pursuit of Happiness? But this one has the bigger appeal with the Williams sisters and the story and also a John Bernthal next to him and has all those Oscar Beatty things, traits that will help him get over the line where he didn't in 2008, maybe it was in Pursuit of Happiness. And I think you brought up the supporting cast and Will Smith does carry this movie. Let's be frank. Yes. Yes. But there are some outstanding performances within this movie and this movie, I think it's up there for my favorite of the year. It's real. Like I enjoyed this thoroughly as I was watching. 
and like every aspect of it. And it wasn't just the Will Smith scenes talking to his wife, talking to Venus and Serena, but also the tennis scenes. They were highly entertaining. And like sometimes I don't find tennis to be the most uh attractive sport in terms of like, okay, I can sit through three hours of this, but the scenes in this movie make it highly entertaining. And uh, I kind of want to go to the actors and actresses here. Um, those playing Venus and Serena, uh, Sanaya Sydney playing Venus Williams, Demi Singleton playing Serena. I think if they aren't good, then this movie fails. It's literally about the Venus. It's the it's the Williams sisters. Like it's the dad relationship with the Williams sisters. I was nervous when I saw this trailer. I was nervous by some of the lines they included. They made it seem super sappy, almost like Blindside. Venus Williams, who's your best friend? <laughs> Serena Williams, who's your best friend? Ricky Flicks woke up on like Saturday morning, and then he just like left me a voice message, <laughs> not a Snapchat, a voice message on my phone with that exact quote. It's like 6 a.m. And it's like, Venus Williams, who's your best friend? <laughs> it was so good. But um, I thought they had good chemistry with Will Smith, and I think they understood their assignments very well. They understood the assignment. But like they need to they, – they're playing iconic, iconic – athletes and ones that really they need to show that they are actually listening to what Richard Williams is saying. And they're, they could hear and they could actually, um, they believe in what he's saying. Cause they really do. They rarely like at any point in the movie, they rarely second guess him, rarely second guess him. And they bought in. And I think they uh, brought a lot of emotion to the part too. You think of uh, how Venus, when she wants to play in the juniors tournament, has that one-on-one with Will Smith. You could argue that's Will Smith's Oscar moment. That is Will Smith's Oscar moment. There's a few in here. He's breaking th- down. What else, Ricky Flex? So, what other scenes? I know a lot of people are saying the like the best scene in this movie is the one next to Brandy, Richie Williams' wife, uh, Anjay Ellis. Anjanue um, Ellis. Anjanue Ellis. And who was also very good in this movie. So good. She might get nominated. Like, she might. I. She was very good in this movie. Um, obviously, best actress is like going to be hard to sneak in. But... Yep. maybe supporting like supporting there's an option and i think that she would be in there i know a lot of movies haven't come out yet so i think supporting actress is where they would slide her in and promote her for or uh, go on the campaign trail for and she has a good chance here but um i think also just for this to be a good movie you mentioned it had to have a good cast or else it's going to feel like a hallmark movie or just like a bad biopic and or the, like the girls like blindside like blindside i'm not a huge blindside guy I think it was a lot better. I think it was better than Blindside. Did you like Blindside oh, more than this? No, no, no. This is a better movie than Blindside. But yeah. I will say that te- I am not on the same wavelength as you with the tennis scenes. You didn't like them? Like, I think the training montage between, like, when Serena was with her mom. The parallels? I, I did not think that was effective. Wow. You didn't? Why? Think- because you didn't buy the mom training her? Like, how did you well, not like Out that? of nowhere, she just says she's training her. Like, we didn't get – all right. One of my flaws with this movie – we didn't have enough backstory with the actual parents. Like we had this 78 page plan, but literally the plan is literally, Oh, so just train them yourselves until, and then just go to these uh, Beverly Hills clubs and try to get a coach to do it for free. Exactly what happened. But this page is just, there's a 78 page plan. What else was the plan? What did you do? Like you just read magazines, like give me something. And it was before the on, on Janae Ellis, the mom, trained i didn't know she was even gonna be a part of training and then after that it's like oh i trained serena on her serve and stuff like that i fixed that it's like but you didn't establish that before 
I think there's a lot of things they didn't establish with the parents in this movie that they should have. And uh, this is that's this is a minor thing I wanted to say just because you mentioned the tennis sequences. Interesting. I think they were some of them were too long, maybe overdone. The last one was too long in the final act. That yes. was way too long. That was my main detraction of the movie. Yeah. Um, the movie itself so, was too long. Yes, definitely, and a little repetitive. The movie is, itself was pe- repetitive. But again, I'm those are basically all my things there. And also maybe just something else, but I won't mention it now because we're not talking about it. Oh, no, I think the best scenes, though, are with, is with the actual acting, not the tennis sequences. Um, I know you said that was one of your positives, but just, that's just me. I mean, yeah, well, the best scenes in the movie are with Will Smith. I'm saying I like to make it, this is a sports movie. And it, I think it accomplished a lot of like the sports movie cliches. You have the moment of adverse adversity. Can we do this? Can we, can we win this big match at the end? You have the actual big match at the end. You have the motivational techniques that most like sports movies have. And like someone trying to get like, like the big upset, like overcome these like insurmountable odds. It filled those out very nice, but I think it separated itself like from other sports movies by what you said, like the most entertaining parts were the actor. I, yes. I, I do think that this Just is like a family man, movie like or think, family drama to make a connection. Like the best scenes of miracle are the hockey scenes in my opinion. Right. You could say like, Oh yeah, it was like, yeah. uh, you could say there are some great moments where it's like uh, the great, the speech obviously is a huge moment. You could say uh, I kind yeah. of backfired on me. I just th- forgot yeah, about that. Yeah. But like the, the, the moment is so big. Like the game is so big. Like, yes, it was big for the athlete in this moment with Venus, but it was also huge for the family. And you felt like it was the family winning, not just Venus. And that's what they built with this family drama type of story. Mm-hmm. And I also talking about the supporting cast, got to bring up John Bernthal, the dude. What he, I don't want to say he didn't steal scenes. He didn't because he was alongside Will Smith for a lot of them, but he was going in dude. He was going in as uh, Rick Mackey going in with the mustache, the accent, right? He was like that typical guy you see at an 80s country club trying to like yuck it up. So I thought that scene, like whenever he was on, I, I was uh, I was locked in. I thought he was great. I don't think it was particularly like the hardest role, but I, he was just very good. He was very good. And like you said, like Will Smith, he was just in his element. This is, he will, I don't think Will Smith will ever do a better role, like a better job in any of his role in the future. I think this is this really going to be his legacy is this role. And John Berthold had no chance to ever like steal scenes, like you said, but he, you can't take away what he did. So I'm looking forward to see what John Berthold does. He's, he, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. He's doing a TV mini series coming up Two actually he's doing an accountant sequel. He's doing, a, Oh, he's doing the unforgivable with Sandra Bullock, but he's going to be in a supporting cast role with the uh, grateful dead biopic with Scorsese probably be a roadie or something like that. <laughs> I, I hope so. But I can't, I, I, I hope he does more uh, like he was just Johnny Soprano in the main Saints in Newark, but he didn't get a lot of screen time in that. Not as much as we expected. So I'm just, I just hope he uh, kind of takes the next step in his career, but it's not looking like it's coming in the near future future. Yeah. And like, I, I also, I mean, John Bernthal is one of our favorites. We had a top billing based upon him and uh mm. I want him to get that opportunity, whether it becomes the Punisher again, to kind of like reinvent like who he is or kind of like return. And then also like, okay, now we're going for it. Now we're going for these leading roles. Cause it's just, I love him in these supporting roles. That's where he performs best, but you want to see a guy get a shot. You want to see our guy get a shot. You got to give us a shot. Uh, uh, 
shout out Terry, uh, Mets manager. What's his name? Terry. Terry Hoyts or Terry. Sorry. No, um, Terry, it's Terry uh, right? Yes. Uh, you uh, gotta give us a shot. Uh, now Neil. No. All right. Now I gotta look this up. Terry Collins. Sorry. Collins. Thank you. You gotta give us a shot. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, I also want to talk about this, the Williams sisters. This just felt good to watch for Venus Williams. Yes. It really, in my opinion. Five-time Wimbledon champion. And I loved what they did, making like her getting over the hump, all right? She is putting the family on her back. She was the oldest. She was put in the fire first because everyone just associates with the Williams sisters. You immediately think of Serena being the GOAT, 23-time Grand Slam winner. Like, it's greatest female. It's, uh, athlete of all time greatest, greatest female athlete of all time you can honestly i wouldn't be surprised to make a biopic about her honestly well they, they kind of like hinted at a potential sequel here that we could talk about in a sec okay but venus it's just it's, you just got to feel bad for her. you're it's it's like it's you're this like and she's a great tennis player herself she's won wimbledon what five times five time champion in wimbledon and she's still forgotten so it was great that this movie it was like it was almost sending a message this wasn't all Serena and this mm-hmm. would, uh, Serena would never have been the goat or this great without Richard Williams and her sister Venus. Definitely. They help like without Pushed them, through. they don't, she doesn't become a 23 time grand slam winner. And I think that is like the importance of family and accomplishments for an athlete, especially coming out of a, uh, a living environment in Compton. Right. And I mm-hmm. loved how, mm-hmm. They showed the parallels, like, okay, they're living in Compton right now. They're showing the dangerous sides of it, but also how, like, the environment can also um, support you if they want you to get out. But then also you go to the country club and you have, like, the Journey song playing. Like, the only the young is going. And you got mm-hmm. all these white people in their high shorts. And you got uh, Rick Mackey, the John Bernthal's character, saying, hey, what can I get you? Can I get you a cheeseburger? You don't have to pay for this, this, that. It did a good job of showing, like, what that life was and how they were aliens at first, but also how they became comforting. Like, they comforted and, like, warmed up to it, especially Richard Williams' character with the interviews and, like, the lifestyle that he ends up living. I, I, I like that aspect of the movie. It took you into different settings. Yeah, definitely. I did like that as well. And I think that helps with the supporting cast as well. Um, who played, like, obviously he's a recognizable face, but who played the previous trainer? He, we've Tony seen him Goldwyn. In a, yeah, we've seen him in a bunch of other things as well. He was good too. And he was good, I thought. Um, maybe not the, the same as said as John Bernthal. Maybe not as sexy of a role. But uh, that was good because you got, like, the Pete Sampras and John McEnroe, McEnroe uh, cameos. Like, as yeah. in not, not them, but, like, people playing them. And that was interesting to see. And that was before, like they even had a coach. So, was that true? Do you think that was true? I think I don't. Sampras know. and freaking yeah McEnroe were training, and then all of a sudden they happened to stumble yeah. upon the coach. I don't know. Maybe that was a part of the seventy-eight page plan. <laughs> that we don't know any. Uh, I don't know. Like we in that. All right. But you also don't intentionally you also don't intentionally know about Will Smith's character in his previous life, where he has kids that aren't Which, part of his family. That's what I was literally about to say the Richie Williams backstory that you don't find, you literally don't know him at all until the kitchen scene, the argument saying, Oh, like you cheated on me or like you have kids before me. And like literally all you know is that he was a security guard that did night shifts and owns a gun and he was going to kill a guy. <laughs> like, and the, yeah, like people forget that happened in this movie. So I don't know. I think the backstories for the parents was an issue, but all in all, I did love this movie and just going quickly to the Serena aspect 
uh, that you were mentioning about potential biopic. I don't know if you could do that again um, with because you just showed their, her story right here. You would, would have to be a continuation of this. Or do we do like a last Mini dance series. thing? Miniseries. Yeah. I think we do a last dance type of thing. Yeah. She deserves it. Something different. Something huge. Sunday night, nine o'clock. Or I don't know. Last dance was two episodes, nine and 10 or something like that. Do the same thing with Serena as Michael Jordan. That would put, be awesome. Put the sisters on as ex- executive producers, just like they were for this movie. Yeah. Let them tell the story. I love that, by the way. We'll that, have Mike, we'll, you'll have Michael Jordan talking on the documentary about Serena Williams. Yes. It's going to be box office. And like get the right? biggest tennis names, big, biggest names in sports. That would be huge. Barack Obama. Nike. Because uh, like she was obviously Venus got signed as with Reebok, it said at the end of the movie. Yeah. By the way, that, that was great. That was like, that was a classic sports movie moment. Where it's like, don't buy into like the easy way out, earn it. Like that was mm-hmm. big time, like sports cliche vibes. You know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But uh, no, I think that I definitely like this movie. I think it's more family movie, but it's obviously a sports movie, but a family drama. And that's why it made, it made itself different. It separated itself than other traditional sports biopic with the family drama. And I loved it. And Will Smith, he is my like biggest favorite for Oscar winner for now. He's in the lead by, by a lot. He's in a lead. He has the lead by a wide margin. So um, I want to bring up a potential idea. Ricky flex. You talk about the Serena like docu-series that Mm -hmm. could end up coming Mm -hmm. almost inevitably will be coming. Yes. Um, But this talks about Richard Williams, the guy who's viewed as a narcissist and it gives more of a sympathetic view to his, uh, motivations to like getting his children out of their living conditions and like push them to be better. What are the odds after the success of this movie, we get a Tiger Woods, dad biopic. Well, so we had the documentary. So I was with some friends this weekend and I told him I watched King Richard and yeah, you just said we watched the documentary and he watched that as well as I, and that kind of, they just did that. And that was an HBO Max production, like HBO original. So this definitely might expedite it because Eldridge Woods, they would have to Earl. go into the back. Sorry, Earl. Oh, Eldridge, Eldridge Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, they would have like very similar backstories with like previous, like cheating on your wives. Like, I don't, I don't think Richard Williams cheated on his wife. I think he, had, wife, a, he had a previous, he had a, a kid in a previous marriage or he just thought, had a previous kid then got married. I thought in the movie, it said you, like you had an affair or cheated on me. I didn't remember and that. I, didn't I tell remember the kids. it said like your son showed up and he said like, oh, it's my son. But that's because he had a son before he like mm-hmm. married this woman and, and had all these kids. Okay. That's the way I well, looked at it. I think in that one, just because of the nature of what happened with Tiger Woods, especially in the pub, such public atmosphere, uh, public, public light, he would have to address that. And that and you, that could get that crazy. Would, that's the juicy part of the whole damn story. Yeah. And like literally doing tigers training. on practice. Yeah. yeah. Tigers at the range and tigers working on the, on the, on the greens at only 10 years old or even younger. And his father is going to trailers with these girls so, like that. This would be a much, even though this one, it started off like um, in Compton, very rough upbringing. The Earl Woods documentary would be dark. Yeah. It, definitely. it, could, get, or it could get dark. Biopic. If you want to tell, if you want to tell it the right way. Yeah, that's biopic. what I meant. Biopic. That's what I meant. Like, that's what I think. Or is do a last movie. dance with them, with him. No, nah, we already had the tiger doc. I know, but do it again. Try but again. Saying, like, After post-surgery, he's, he, Hey, just, he was swinging this weekend. Like 
that would be another aspect of the last dance. Just so, so many things to go into with Tiger Woods. Tiger's going to have a 20 episode. Yeah. It's, limited it's too series. much. It's, it's, it's going to be got... the first limited series like this. That's going to be two seasons. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like 10 episodes and 10 episodes. Like you, you might even need more. Like Tiger Woods is the juiciest athlete to make a biopic on. I, I can't imagine the rights that are going for it right now. Mm. It's got to be nuts. Also, just to go back to actually the topic at hand with the Williams sisters, you can talk about the fashion as well. Yeah. Huge, massive. So you can also get into that in the docuseries. Yeah. And then, like, I also want to talk about um, in the movie, like, it, it did a great job, because I remember seeing these highlights before of, like, Venus with the white beads in her hair. Yep. It Very was like cool. when I saw that, I was just like, damn. And they made that like a point of emphasis in the movie. They didn't show her with the white beads. All of a sudden she's coming out, right, to face the number one. And all of a sudden then you see the beads and you're like, oh, man, this has like a big game vibe to it. Mm. It's like this is happening right now. I was once again locked in during that moment. The only downfall was that scene, that match was entirely too long. Just like yes. any other tennis match I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and then they did too much of her failing. Like her failing, like I'm like we're we a do, lot. We, like we get it, we get She's it. Gonna She's lose. going to lose. We get it, right? So it's just like they keep like they showed every point she lost. I'm like you don't have to show everything. We know she's not going to win at this point. Um, yeah, and I, I I was really compelled to like go back on YouTube and actually watch the truth in all of this and her facing mm-hmm. the one seed, doing the bathroom timeout out of embarrassment, things like that. And that's so tennis. That's yeah, so tennis. That's like a tennis like, golf like weak, thing. Weak mentality. Like it's just a lot of pressure. It's I have to go to the bathroom. That, that, that had me like screaming at the TV. Non-team also, sports can drive you to do that. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a lot of pressure. Like, the, yeah. like that woman's feeling the pressure. You're going to lose to a 14-year-old? Yeah. Nah, you can't do that. Uh, with that being said, Ricky Flux, any other thoughts before we get to scores? Do you think – so we talked about Will Smith. We agree that favorite for best actor. And, again – we have had a lot of Oscar type movies like that will get nominated for an Oscar. Like Tick Tick Boom, I just watched that this weekend as well. Andrew Garfield could get a nom for that. But I don't think that movie itself. I want to see. You talked it. about, yeah. yeah. I, you talk, and we talked about Dune before, maybe getting an Oscar non nomination for uh, Best Picture. But like next weekend, we got, wait, we're not, maybe, a, yeah, next weekend, Licorice Pizza. Weekend after that, Power of the Dog. Come on, come on with Joaquin. Uh, don't look up. Don't Nightmare Alley. Uh, Belfast. Belfast. That came out uh, two weekends ago. Tragedy Macbeth coming out in December as well. So imagine of, if you imagine if you had Will Smith versus Denzel for Best Actor. That could happen. It could God literally damn. be Will Smith, Denzel, Leo, Joaquin, and Benedict Cumberbatch. Maybe like. So- that would be pretty great. Pretty crazy. So, so are you getting to like, okay, best picture? Is it going to be nominated? Well, I think because they're doing 10 movies. So they're doing 10 movies for best picture from now on out, here on out for the Oscars. So it will get nominated. But do you think it has a chance to win? Yeah, it definitely like it has to get nominated. I think. So I'm looking at like prospect, prospect movies here. Only like I've only seen King Richard and Dune. Mm-hmm. Personally, I, I like Dune more. I, I'm 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 selfish. I Same. love Dune. I I, I I actually I agree. Uh 
and like Dune just feels like it was much more of an achievement compared to King Richard as a movie. The performance of Will Smith is better than any other performance in Dune, Definitely. but the movie itself, Dune, is much more of an achievement in terms of like best picture compared to it. Um, I I've never seen, I that. haven't seen Belfast. Power of the Dog is that currently on Netflix right now? No, December second. Okay, it's in theaters right now. Yes. Tick Tick Boom is apparently making the making King the Richard, rounds right now. In my opinion, was much better. But oh, you saw Tick Tick Boom on Netflix. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I might watch that tonight. Nez will love that movie. I, I a lot I, of talking and singing. No, that's a lot of rent I, though. But it's pre-rent. Yeah, it's the guy who made rent. Yeah, I re- I liked it. Didn't love it. I Andrew love King Garf- Richard. So, so I mean, Andrew Garfield. Are we, are we looking at a best actor for him? Nam. I th- potentially. It, it was he was very good. He was Persons. very good in it. I don't like obviously like I we I mentioned like the best actors in Hollywood that have a movie coming out during Oscar time. So I don't I don't know if he'll get he'll be able to slot in, slide in to get one of the top five slots. But he was pretty good. He was good. It was definitely a movie around him, not a movie to make like not not like a great movie in itself, but it was a great performance that lifted the movie. That's awesome. Um, other one that he did the he did all the singing. Like it was it was very good. And someone that is a movie that's not being talked about and it's coming into streaming December 10th. I don't, did you bring up being the Ricardos Aaron Sorkin movie? Yeah. The Oscars I think, love him. I don't know. I'm looking but at that could out, be a Nicole out. Kidman. That could be like a Nicole Kidman rival wing Spencer and uh, Javier Kristen Bardem. Stewart. I'm just, I'm just thinking like, I'm looking at the outside the top 10 here. You got movies like nightmare alleys outside the top 10 on this list. Spencer's outside the top 10 in this list. Coda is supposed to be a great film for Tender Apple Bar. TV. Tender Bar. George Clooney's like, Tender Bar with Ben Affleck. West Side Story. We don't know how that's going to oh, perform. West Side like, Story. The Oscar is going to eat that up alive. It's going to be It's going to be fast. It's going to be the biggest battle. It's I think be King huge. Richard will get a nomination just because of the, just on the back of Will Smith. I, I think, think so, too. I think it will get the win for Best Actor. Again, I haven't seen any of the other movies, really. But get the Oscar win for Best Actor, but that's it. Like, as in, that's going to be the one for that movie. And then we'll move on, get other, like, I'm not going to say Doom, but like, get other people's recognition around Hollywood. I can't wait to see the rest of these movies. Ricky Flex, what did you give King Richard as a score? 86. 86 out of 100. I, I, my defaults or my, my things I disliked about it, I think were big enough to not get it into the 90s. And like, Dune, I gave a 90. And I think now, after watching it a third time, and watching King Richard a second time, I like those two scores where they are. I got, I, got, I want to see King Richard again. I do want to see it. I almost don't like want to refrain my score after having this discussion, like give it again. But I'm, I, I, to me, it broke the 90s, 91. 91 for me. Um, I just thought Will Smith was amazing. I loved it. I did really like the tennis scenes. I thought they were really good. Um, and the supporting acting performances were way better than I expected, especially for a movie that was focusing on Will Smith. So... With that being said, that's going to do it for our review of King Richard, and that's going to do it for our episode and our double review. Uh, thank you for listening to episode 64 of the Drive-In Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media, at the Drive-In Pod, on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Make sure that you tune in for our special bonus episode this week, Thanksgiving special Ultimate 80s Draft featuring family members of Ricky Flicks and Dr. O. We got Doc senior and uncle steve-o all right make sure you're tuned in until next time we will 
smell ya.